Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Davey, and we're your hosts. We're excited to be back with you for another great episode. Um, it's it's a good one. parenting series that we are doing. This is the second installment of this parenting series. We're going to do this over the next several weeks. And we have a special conversation with Ron and Nan Deal. Now, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Ron. Um, and, and it was just very special that Nan's on this. She doesn't make a whole lot of public appearances with Ron. Um, and so it's really cool that we were able to get them together to talk about uh, what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Um, but Ron is a best-selling author. He's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. He's a podcaster, a popular conference speaker. Um, they conduct uh, laugh and learn marriage and family seminars and professional training around the country. Uh, he's the leading national expert and most widely read and viewed author on blended families all over the country. Serves as the president of Amazing. Smart Step Families and the director of Family Life Blended, which is a division of Family Life. Um, and we get to have a conversation with he and his wife. I reached out to him and said, hey, can we can we have a conversation about blended family? Actually, I said, can we have you on the podcast? He said, well, do you want to talk about blended families? Or do you want to talk about this this thing that happened in our family? And I was like, I didn't realize that was part of your story. Oh, can wow. we have you on for both? And he was so gracious, like, absolutely. And uh, Nan agreed as well to come and talk about it. And I think this is one of, it's not, I don't know if it's the first time, but one of the first times she talks as publicly about this. Mm. Um, you're going to notice some really special moments, very sacred moments in this conversation. And I know all of our episodes are really powerful. And the people that come to the table here at Nothing Is Wasted, I mean, you know, they are powerhouse people who yeah. are talking about God showing up in, in really difficult seasons. Some episodes are standout episodes because you sense um, the emotion right. just right there on the right. surface, and you sense the Holy Spirit doing something even in the middle of when you're interviewing them, Davey, yeah. or when I'm interviewing them. And this is one of those moments, mm -hmm. this is one of those conversations that, like you've said, Davey, is, is sacred. Mm -hmm. It does feel special. It feels holy. And listeners, we want to say that too because it's very emotional. Yeah. And um, there were times as I was listening that I had to even press pause yeah. and then come back to it, not because I didn't want to hear it. I actually wanted to soak in everything that right. they had to say because it's, it is an anointed episode. But we just want you to know that it is one where you're going to need Kleenex, yeah. you're going to need space, you're going to um, probably afterwards want to process some things with right. the Lord. But in the middle of it, I do ask that you would lean in, you would ask God to um, show you what He wants to show you, because even though their story is really, really painful and really, really hard to swallow... They are being faithful to God because God has been faithful to them. Yeah. And so I would say that's a word for you as well, listener, yeah. that even in the middle of your heartache, even in the things that feel so devastating, even when it doesn't make sense, and a lot of times there's pain that doesn't make sense. This is one of those stories. Yeah. Even in the middle of that, God is faithful that's right. and God is with you and God is holding you. Right. And so I, we're praying um, that you're really encouraged by Ron and Andiel's story yeah. today. I know you. I know you will be encouraged. And this just came to mind, Aubrey, that one of the reasons that 
sometimes we have an episode that's very, very sacred is because you experience healing on the episode in the conversation. That's right. Right. That's right. And I, I just want to emphasize, this is why it's so important to share your story, share your story, because every time you share your story, especially with a, in a safe environment, with safe, trusted people, you will experience healing. So I know you're going to also experience healing as you listen to this. If this episode or any of our episodes mean uh, anything to you, that if it touches you, if it impacts you, if you experience healing, we'd love to hear about it. Go and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and stick around after this conversation with Ron and Nan because Aubrey and I are going to talk a little bit more about um, just what an incredible episode this is. So let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Ron and Nan Dale. Ron, Nan, it's so great to have you guys joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, you know, we're doing a two-parter with you guys, um, or Ron with you. We're going to talk about blended families. Um, and, and you know, little did I know as I was kind of digging into the ministry that you do to help blended families, I had no idea that you guys had experienced such a tragic loss um, as what you have. And so uh, I don't want to waste any time. I want, you to, I want you to story with us. I want you to tell us uh, what took place in your life. And then we're going to talk about what God has done um, out of that. Okay. It was a Saturday afternoon. Nan and I thought we need to get away for a few minutes. And so we ran, saw a quick movie. Um, the movie was Taken. It was 2009. Liam Neeson, you know, his daughter gets abducted and he goes and takes her back. We left our three boys at home, uh, Brayden, Connor, and Brennan, 14, 12, and 10 at the time. And what we didn't know is that Connor was being taken. Mm. We went home after a movie and just being together for a few minutes, and uh, Connor complained of a headache. And, um, yeah, what do you do? Give him a couple of ibuprofen, send him to bed a little early. That's what we do, right? Uh, you've seen this a thousand times as a parent, and we didn't think anything of it. Um, next morning, he wasn't feeling any better, and Ann took him to a walk-in urgent care kind of place, and they tested him for half a dozen things, and nothing showed up. And so they said, take two of these and call us in a couple of days if yeah, he's They actually be gave him a breathing treatment and said he had a bad case of croup, which was really kind of strange in a 12-year-old boy. Right. But the doctor slapped him on the back and said, you'll feel better in 24 hours. Yeah. And two days later, you know, making a long story short, um, that was a Sunday. By Tuesday, he had a 105-degree temperature and uh, couldn't barely breathe. We rushed him to our family doctor, and x-ray revealed pneumonia. We don't know what's causing that. Let's get him in the hospital. Two more days before we had a, a, a diagnosis, he had MRSA. He had a, a MRSA staph infection that had gone septic in his bloodstream and was pretty much just ravaging his body. Uh, to this day, we don't know where he got it, how he got it. Um, it just came out of nowhere. Wow. Uh, they began to treat him, put him on uh, you know, a, a lung bypass machine, ECMO mm -hmm. machine, tried to oxygenate his blood, you know, pumping him full of antibiotics. Um, really didn't approve much. Uh, and so they said, we were in Amarillo, Texas at the time, and we need to get him to Dallas Children's Hospital. Um, but you need to understand he might not survive the flight. And we didn't Jeez. really understand that because 
you know, we're people of faith. And we had a carrying bridge up and people were praying for us and folks sending us messages and coming to visit. And Mm -hmm. our elders came and prayed over him in the hospital. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we we just really thought he was going to be fine. He's going to have a testimony out of this. And I was journaling, journaling every day. And with every procedure, I would whisper in his ear what was happening to him. Okay, Connor, they're putting a pick line in. Connor, you're getting another x-ray. Okay, now they're putting you in the prone to supine position. We're, we're here. We're with you. We won't eat until you eat. I mean, very quickly when he went in, they intubated him. And, you know, he was in a coma. So we really lost contact with him quickly right away. But, you know, we felt like he could hear us. And I was journaling and keeping track because I thought my son's going to lose a week or two of life. And I got to let him know what happened to him. You know, time would be gone in his life. And he and I got on that plane going to Dallas and, you know, just all the things that are racing through my head. I, I remember the, the EMT, she was tiny, no bigger than a minute held me and said, Mrs. Steele, do you understand the severity of this flight? And I'm thinking, we're in America. Mm. You know, I mean, this is pneumonia, but he's not a baby or an old person. And um, we're in ministry. We, yeah. We've got people praying and a bed opened up. No, we're going to Dallas and things are going to be fine. I, my mind could not go there mm-hmm. and didn't go there. Even when the pilot said, how many, you know, how how much can we fly? And they said, you better take it from 11,000 feet down to nine. This little guy can't handle it. And I hear those things when I'm thinking, but a bed opened up. Yeah. We're praying, you know? Yeah. So we get him to Dallas Children's Hospital on a Sunday. He did survive the flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he's, he's in a coma this entire time. Mm. And, uh, you know, they immediately plugged more stuff into him and, and, uh, you know, said, all right, this is his room. He'll be here for six weeks. Mm-hmm. He may lose a lung, but he's going to be fine. He's going to yeah. recover. Um, we're like, we're here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. We're here. Our we're, boys will do school here. We'll go to the Ronald McDonald house. We are in it for yep. the long haul. We, uh, the first, so it's been a week since he's been in the hospital, 10 days since that original headache. And he had his first signs of, of improvement. His vitals improved. Mm. And they said, we're going to lift a coma just a little mm. bit. Why don't you go talk to him? Let's see how he responds. He won't be able to talk back. He's still intubated. He's still going to be unconscious. But we went over and held his hand, and I whispered in his ear, "Con, man, we're here, and you know we're 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 not leaving, and you're going to be okay." And and I got a tiny little movement squeeze on my hand, and a little tear ran down his cheek, and Nan. Hugged and talked and started singing to him. Got a little tear, and we had for the first time this real sense of okay, okay. all right, <laughs> it's gonna be okay. And some friends had driven down to be with us, and uh, we stepped out for a few minutes and just grabbed a bite to eat and said goodbye to them and and came right back up to his room and and he wasn't there and you know it had been a short period of time and. They said six weeks, and he doesn't leave this room, and we knew something was up. And they quickly told us that um, he was gone to have a CAT scan, and I was like, no, 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 he wasn't scheduled for that on this day. It's, And they said, well, we saw something, and so, you know, an ECMO machine is huge, and yeah. the, he was up on five mattresses, and there was nothing in the room. I, my child was gone, you know. 
panicking and they put you in that room, that room that you have <laughs> to sit to side and wait you... for the doctors to come in. And as soon as they came in, I said, I, I knew, I knew what they were going to tell me. And I said, I don't want, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I don't want to hear it. So I ran out to go be with him and I climbed in bed with him and Ron stayed and, um, and then had the really hard, hard job of going to tell our other two boys what was happening. Connor was, uh, turns out he had the flu on top of all of this, and his body just couldn't fight the symptoms, and he was bleeding in the brain, and it was only a matter of time. And so we didn't know how much time we'd had, so we went and got our other two boys, and we all went into Connor's room, and we had two hours with him. Um, I put my hand on his heart. The only thing I could think of at that point in time was I want to feel the last heartbeat. I cut the cord when he was born. I want to feel the last heartbeat. I don't know why I thought that. It just, that's what I did. I just laid in the bed with him and sang to him and just touched every inch of his body just because I knew. And uh, By then, we had some family and friends that were gathered around. and Our boys were... One was frantically screaming at the doctor, saying, help my brother, help my brother. And our oldest son was right next to his brother, saying, don't be afraid, Connor. Just run to, don't Jesus. run to Jesus. Just run to Jesus. It was surreal. My parents were across his body. Just my dad looked panicked. And my sister-in-law was just there. And then a good friend just started singing a song that we, we all loved. And, and we sang him home. Now, it's March as we're recording this. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, um, February 17th, we crossed the 12-year mark. Wow. Connor was 12 when he died. We've just entered a new season where He's we've been, we've been gone. longer than we had him. <sighs> wow. And it's a long, long road. And in that it's a same, long road. And in that same month this year, our oldest son got married. What so, a joyous day it was. Yeah. And yet his brother wasn't a best man. And, and so we carried yeah. a lot that day. Um, I'm glad we were further out um, 12 years so that we could really truly celebrate with Brayden yeah. and Liz. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's always there. I mean, yeah, it's just like yeah. doing this right here. I mean, talking about it, and I'm weeping like it was yesterday. Yeah, and Davey, I'm, I know you know this, and I know some of your listeners know this, that that month crossing the 12-year mark, the loss of our son, and celebrating the wedding of our other son is the crazy sort of bipolar, bittersweet existence that you live every day yeah. after a significant loss. Not not a little loss, but massive loss brings that to you. Right. You now live between the the two sides of this thing, the, the bitter and the sweet. There can be joys that come out of things. There mm. can be changes in your life. You get recalibrated in a thousand ways. Stuff you thought was important before Connor died, I don't think is important anymore. You know, how I understand God and faith. So many things have been recalibrated. And most of those things are positives in my life. And they all come with the bitterness of right. the pain. Mm-hmm. And we should never, ever, ever think that when people say, well, you know, God's doing something in this. Well, yeah, he might be, but that doesn't negate my pain. Yeah, right. That doesn't erase what hurts, what I live with every day, 
and the accommodations we've all had to make in our individual lives, right. us, our other two boys, our extended family, it is both and. Yes. That's right. And what's interesting, you know, I found more often than not those sweet moments, kind of momentous moments that come in some of the aftermath of, of tragedy, they tend to collide at almost the same mm-hmm. times as some of the anniversaries or those, these like bitter moments as well. And I'm not sure I've been able to make much sense of that, you know, theologically or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure to each person, it probably means something a little bit different because God is so personal in how he ministers to each sure. one of us in, in our pain. But it is interesting that those two things tend to touch quite a bit and, and we're forced to hold intention the both and of, of bitter and sweet. Yes. Pain is unavoidable. And yet the primary place I see people get stuck in their pain journey is that they try to avoid addressing it altogether. Recovery starts the moment we choose to take that first step toward wholeness and we lean into the painful emotions. While we believe we have so much to offer as a ministry to help you in your recovery journey, we know there is one area that you need that we don't directly provide, and that is traditional counseling and therapy services. That's why we partner with Faithful Counseling. They are an online worldwide organization that provides virtual counseling from wherever you are. They have licensed therapists who are certified by their state's board to provide traditional mental health counseling from a Christian perspective. You can receive the help you need quickly when you sign up because they match you with a counselor in 24 hours or less. Then you can connect with them anytime via your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. And if your counselor you are matched with isn't a good fit for you, you're able to switch at any time to find someone who better fits your needs. To be clear, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource in your healing journey. It costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify, which you can apply for during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link only, you'll receive 10% off your first month of counseling for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothing is wasted. And now back to our interview. You know, as I sit and, and listen to you guys talk about this, it it still feels like I mean, it feels like just with your emotion that it could have been last year, last week. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's important to note. You know, this is the loss of a of a of a child. It's like the complete opposite of the way naturally it seems like things should work, you know, that a parent is burying yes. a child. Can you, can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Talk about, you know, just, um, it, it, it can, it can feel very heavy to think even that, you know, if someone's listening to this, like, well, 12 years out, there's still so much pain that's involved. Mm. You know, how would you encourage somebody if you're sitting across the table from from someone who's just lost a child? Yeah. Like, how would you encourage them? Yeah, you know, just last night we did sit we across the table mm. from a, a couple. couple that had just lost their their ten year old son to cancer four and, months ago. And you know, I, I got to say, many people have poured into us. We immediately started surrounding ourselves with other parents who have lost children who are ahead of us who could help us and hold us up, and. We now have the privilege of being able to do that 
one-on-one like last mm-hmm. night, but also through a ministry called While We're Waiting mm-hmm. that we are big advocates for, Christian ministry for parents who have lost a child, whilewe'rewaiting.org, look them wow. up. But one of the things I would say, and I'd love to have your perspective on this too, I, you know, we do have a 12-year point of view and then we've listened to mm-hmm. others that are even mm-hmm. 20 years, 25 years down the road. And in the beginning, the intensity of your grief is so great. It is paralyzing. Mm -hmm. It is every second. It is every minute. And you cannot step away from it. I would say in this last year, we've experienced moments where, uh, and then over time, that begins to taper. But like you just observed, anytime you step into that space, the the intensity comes back up. It's just not with you every minute of every day. It's a little bit like if you've ever said, where's my hat? And you look for five minutes and you go, ah, it's on my head. Mm. Like you just forgot it was there. It's not that you ever, you don't ever forget Connor, but the intensity of that pain is not ever with you Mm -hmm. as time moves on. That is not to say, we are always quick to tell people, that does not mean you get over this. Right. Right. Yeah. You walk through grief, you never get over it. Yeah. That's the wrong language. Mm-hmm. And But the intensity of it does change. There was a poignant scene in The Rabbit Hole, mm-hmm. that movie, um, where the, the mother has lost a child and her mother has lost her brother. So both moms sitting in the basement folding the clothes of the child that has died, so it's the grandmother's grandson, but they're talking as mothers about their grief. And the mother says to her daughter, who is now in this law, saying, it's like a brick in your pocket. And at the beginning, it just beats you up, and it's heavy, and it bruises your leg, and it's always there. You know it's there. You don't even have to reach into your pocket. She said, and then as time goes on, you'll be walking around and all of a sudden you'll put your hand in there and you go, oh yeah, there, there it is. And I truly did not believe that that hmm. would ease. I really felt like I would be weighted down hmm. with it. And I, I think my pain and my heaviness lasted about four or five years to where it was very, very heavy. And you know, the rest of the world thinks six months to a year. And so yeah. then you feel like a freak right. if you're over a year or two, just still f- crying every day, so heavy and feeling the weight of that depression and sadness. Yeah. Um, but I did have a mom who was 20 years out, about four year mark for me. And she was 20 years out. And I was just explaining to her, I'm just still so sad. And I still am just so confused. And she said, oh, sweetheart, you just dipped your toe into this ocean of grief. You need to be kind to yourself. And um, I, I say things like to people, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. They're, not, they're not a light switch. You, um, turn them off, right? you can't turn them off. It's not an on or off thing. It's not natural. It is not like when I buried my father. Um, he was 83 and it was time for him to go. Right. I lost a lifetime of all those what ifs. When you hold that baby or you think about having that child, we all do it. We think about when they go to kindergarten, when they graduate from high school, driving a car, getting going on their first date, getting married, having children themselves. And you have a lifetime of dreams that are just halted and you don't know what to do with that. And even though you have other children, there's still that child that holds that for you. Yeah. 
And it and it doesn't matter in the community that I'm in, when I sit across a table with moms who've lost children to suicide, cancer, or um, a drowning, or whatever age, 2, 4, 16, 20, we all say the same thing. We were robbed of a lifetime. Right. We want them back. It's not the way it should be. Um, and it's just such a hard, heavy road. And the rest of the world is afraid of us <laughs> because it's one of those glosses that they just don't, people just get afraid right. of. And so, um, so there's not a whole lot of help. I mean, there is help out there for us, but sometimes we feel like we're on the island of misfit toys. Mm-hmm. We do. And we all say that in the grieving parent, parental community. Yeah, we yeah. do. And so... If there's other parents out there, find your community. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would say, because that's what saved my life. I would only read a book from a parent who had lost a child. I didn't want to he- hear about other grief. Right. I wanted to hear about that grief because yep. I wanted to know people were, were going to survive because yeah. I really, truly, at the beginning, didn't think I would. Yeah. yeah, as much as you don't want to, I mean, every pain is every pain point is so different. As much as you mm-hmm. want to be able, even in, in, in altruistic motives, to be able to relate or empathize with somebody and, and say, hey, I understand what it feels like to, to lose someone really close to you, you know, even for me to have lost my, my wife. And, but that, I, don't, I don't know what it's like to lose a child. And I think it's important for people to understand that, that everything is, so we can't compare pain. It's, it's, it pain holds, pain fills up the entire capacity of whatever our tank is, whatever, whatever size, whatever it fills it up. And so, um, you know, that's why I would, I would agree with you guys that echo that, you know, finding that community of people that are walking a similar road to you is going to be so helpful to be able to give you that encouragement, especially a Christ centered community, a gospel centered community that's going to be able to point you back to Jesus in all of this. For sure. Davey, there's a couple other things that we've learned along the way. You have to be very careful to surround yourself with the right people. Mm. Along the same line of community, think about friends and family. Some of them are going to be helpful in your pain. Mm -hmm. Most of them will not. Uh, There's a rule of thumb in the grief community that you have a therapeutic third. A third of the people in your life can actually help you do your grief journey. Two-thirds won't. Wow. I think with a grieving child, a grieving a child, I actually think it's a tenth. Yeah, I think it's a different category, such that people, even less people, can connect into your pain. It just taps something into them. I don't know what the the deal is, but they just can't. So, but here's the thing: the lesson we had to learn was it's our job to figure out who that tenth of people are mm. and make choices to be with them and not others. Mm-hmm. And then when you're with the 90%, this is what my wife taught me. Mm-hmm. You've got to not expect from them things they cannot give you. That's good. Now, mm-hmm. now, what's really hard about that is some of them are good friends before Connor died. Some of them were family members. Mm-hmm. And you do expect, you do want, you do need. And when you figure out they just don't have it, it's it's like you can continue to... <laughs> Our little phrase is, if you keep going to the to the hardware store expecting to walk out with bread in your hand, mm. you're, no, you're going to have a screwdriver in your hand, and that's all you're going to get. Yeah. It's not going to feed you. Yeah. you got to go to the bread store to get bread, and there's only a few people who will provide you with sustenance. That is hard work. We were angry when we discovered this because we thought, I'm the grieving dad. Mm-hmm. Why is it my job to figure this yeah. out? Can't other people do that for me? They can't. 
It's my job. Right. And another thing that a friend of mine, this was God's provision for me. She was 10 years ahead of me. She said to me one day, she said, okay, Connor is in this sacred garden that you have. He's there and you can go in there and, and only you. And it's your job to protect it, protect his legacy, his memory, what you talk about, when you talk about it, how you talk about it. If you approach somebody and they say, hey, how many kids do you have? And you really don't feel like they're safe to say, hey, I want to go there with the three and one's in heaven. She said, that's your garden. Take care of it and protect it the way you know how. And then find people that you can trust that you can allow in the garden with you. And I know now who can be in that garden and who can't after 12 years. And at the beginning, I had this hula hoop of, help me. I need you to help (laughs) me. I am so suffering right now. I don't know how to manage this first Christmas, his birthday, uh, the other children. children. Uh, um, My husband's grieving differently than me. And um, people went running. And even some... Even some in the grieving community, and it was so devastating to have to do all, have all that energy to just keep your head above water, and then try to take care of your family, and then try to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn very quickly that I needed to take care of that sacred garden, yeah. that memory, and I needed to learn how to put Connor where I he was safe for me. Yeah, yeah. there's like this unfortunate natural ripple effect that happens where mm. after tragedy, after the loss of, of someone in your life, you tend to also lose a lot of the community around you. There's a major transition that happens. And I wish I had been warned about that. I wish I had known that. So this yeah. information that you're giving to our listeners right now is so helpful, especially those who are right smack in the middle of it to be able to, to know that. And, and that provides the space for them to give other people grace and themselves grace and compassion in the, in the middle mm-hmm. of this. There's one thing I, I heard you guys say a couple times. Um, and it really resonated with me because I had the same feeling. Uh, it was, it was this, while all of this was happening and while Connor, um, you know, his health was quickly, um, deteriorating, you, you said this phrase, but we're in ministry. And I caught that. I caught that because that's exactly, I mean, I'm, you know, right in the middle of this major tragedy. My home gets broken into. My wife is murdered. I, we're pastors. We followed God's call to move, to yeah. leave this dream, to go and move and start a church. Right. And I had that same feeling mm-hmm. like, no, okay, this doesn't happen to us. We're in ministry, right? Can you talk right. about a little yeah. bit, can you untangle a little bit of that? That feeling in your own heart, and then how you Dude, reconcile that. How much time that. you got? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, A plus B was supposed to equal C. Mm-hmm. I mean, I married a minister. We were doing everything at church. We prayed when the boys woke up. We taught them scriptures. We we you know we had all the. I'm going to date myself. All the cassettes, yes. and the DVDs, <laughs> the and adventures in Odyssey, and all, and all of that. <laughs> yes, yeah. all the Christians. You know, we we were. You know, we just felt like we were doing a great job and this is how you did it. And we even had the golden retriever, you know, to put on this Norman Rockwell family painting and, and God and this, and this caring bridge too. That was what was hard for me was 
all of these people were praying. And James says, you know, you, you pray for the sick and yeah. they'll be healed. And the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Here's what it comes down to. Um, one of our major recalibrations has been just our theology of prayer and ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, before Connor died, I thought I ran the world. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know I thought I ran the world. Wow. And it was... It took his death for me to realize I don't control anything, but I sure thought I did. I sure thought goodness and work, Mm -hmm. hard work and prayer meant I'd get what I thought I'd get. And you know what? That's just not biblical. You know, we we, we harp on Job's friends. I read that book so many times after Connor died. We harp on his friends. You know, they... They got it right for seven days because they didn't say a word. Then they mm-hmm. started talking and they got it wrong. But let me tell you, Job had the same theology as they. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it and you really look at it, he thought also A plus B equals C. His friend said, yeah, that's right. So you must have done something wrong since God brought this on you. And he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. Therefore, this should not have come on me. Bottom line is they both thought that uh, God owes us and he doesn't owe us. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about life we don't understand. And I am better off when I realize how small I am Mm. and how big he is, and I just shut up and trust. I will say this, too, and this is really the first time I've ever talked about this. Um, I have been open about my struggle with depression and anxiety. I I did think about suicide 18 months in. I was very much in a moment of despair, um, being very vulnerable with you. I then went through a season of doubt and a huge season of anger with God, and I had a knee-jerk reaction to Scripture, prayer, and any kind of song that had any kind of—I mean, it wasn't well with my soul. I'm just going to be perfectly frank with you. And I just now today, I'm coming out of a very dark season where I did a lot of numbing, and um, I let the enemy get a foothold, and I really— had some abandonment issues with God. Uh, you know, I mm. fought it out with them at the beginning, and then I just kind of settled into, well, you know, I guess this is how it is, you know? And I would sit in church, and the scriptures would kind of roll, and I'd kind of get this knee-jerk reaction to, well, not for me. Or you'd hear a song, and you go, well, that sounds great. You're good, but this isn't good. Or are you really good? Because now there's this. And I was entangled in that for a long time, and I am just now coming out of that. Um, and then, God's course, mercy has been wonderful yeah. and amazing, but it has been a long 12-year journey yeah. for me, and it hasn't been pretty. It has been very, very ugly, yeah. and I've done some things and that it was all just to self-preserve and to take away the pain, mm-hmm. the only way I thought I knew how. And... Trusting God with my prayers, well, I prayed for my son, and he's gone. Um, and that's the first time I've really ever talked about that. Man, thank you for, um, thank you for trusting us with sharing that. And uh, I think what's so powerful about what you're saying right now is, you know, I, I understand what it means to be in ministry and, and feel like you're in a, in a, on a platform where you can't admit some of these things. Mm. And, and, and it's a, yeah, it's a common thing yeah. for those of us, you know, the, 
It is a common yeah. thing. I, I sit with a lot of moms and um, yeah. it is a common it thing. It is a very common thing. And that's what I think you're right now by just speaking this into light, you're giving so many folks who are in this same boat that you are, you're giving them hope. One, that they're not alone. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what the enemy would love for each one of us oh, to be convinced did. of Absolutely. is that oh, he did. we're alone in this. And to hear mm-hmm. you share transparently and vulnerably, I know right now it's liberating hearts all over the country, all mm-hmm. over the world as they, as they hear you say this. And it's, and it's also given them hope that God can in, in his time and will and his mercy will carry them mm-hmm. through and out of this as well. Yeah. The enemy would like nothing more than to isolate all of us, oh, all of us, moms and dads and put us in the closet with whatever we're, you know, right. whatever our vices, whatever our thing is, whether it's anger, or whatever TV, numbing with the TV, you know, whatever working, overworking because you just can't handle the pain. Yeah. It, it truly is his greatest day, yeah. you know, and isolation is his best tool yeah. and then you get into shame and then you get into you know it's just right. a cycle right right and i, I want to say something real quick about the grief uh, the journey together as a couple and as a family mm, yeah mm-hmm. um in, in the beginning all four of us our other two boys and us you know we were just completely devastated and you know, how do we breathe? And we would, my sister would come and uh, spend a weekend with us because Nan and I would forget to feed our other two mm-hmm. kids. Like, seriously, like we just didn't function, right? And, you know, as time goes on, you kind of find your way back into the rhythms of life, although your heart is not in any of it, but you can just begin to function again on some level. We grieved very similarly, the two of us, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We did. Over time, some of our differences began to show up, and we had to work harder and harder at finding grace for one another and mm-hmm. connecting. And she giving me space to be where I was and me giving her mm-hmm. space to be where she was and not expecting the other to be exactly in the same spot, same emotions, same reactions. Right. And it, it's been interesting. Like... It, it that brings on a new set of challenges yes. as you kind of diverge in your path. Yeah. Right. Um, it's work. <laughs> it is a family journey. It is a marital journey. It and the individual journey. So, yeah, it's a lot there. Again, I, I come back to you need community. You need support. Anybody who isolates <laughs> and tries to figure this out on their own is really going to struggle. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. God is doing big things in and through Nothing Is Wasted Ministries this year. One of these things I've been itching to announce, but couldn't until now, is the release of the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional. These devotions are the daily entries I wish that I had available to me along my healing journey. Each entry is designed to give you hope and practical help as you partner with God to take back your story. It'd be great for you or for anyone in your life who is struggling through a difficult season. The devotional is releasing July 22nd, but we want to extend to you a special offer of 20% off if you pre-order the devotional before July 22nd. If you pre-order now, the devotional will show up on your doorstep on July 22nd, and you'll gain immediate access to all our exclusive pre-order bonuses, including the first 21 days sent to your inbox 
along with five-minute video teaching of each entry from me. To pre-order the devotional and check out all the bonuses, go to paintopurposedevo.com and use the code PODCAST for 20% off the devotional just for being a Nothing Is Wasted podcast listener. Again, that's paintopurposedevo.com and use that code PODCAST for 20% off. I imagine, you know, for you guys, I mean, how difficult it, it must have been to be carrying the weight of your own grief, as well as trying to shepherd your, your other kids in the midst of all Mm. of this, you know, I, I mean, it's, it, it's got, it seems impossible. How in the world do we do this? Yeah. And we just did a lot of, I don't know, you know, when they had asked questions that we didn't have answers for, we just owned it. We, I don't know. And we, we, but our, our attitude was we were going to grieve outwardly. We were going to grieve openly right. because we wanted to normalize that and invite the other to make it okay to be sad, to talk, to share, to bring up Connor's name, to reflect on good memories and hard ones. And I think we accomplished that. If there's one right. thing we did right, <laughs> I would just say is that we didn't hide it. Yeah. I will say that, I mean, we extended each other a tremendous amount of grace. Even when, you know, Ron got done with Job and he kind of took the higher road and I was like, ah, peace out. I'm really not feeling that. (laughs) I really didn't. I just kind of gave him grace for that. And the boys um, were 10 and 14 at the time. So you've got a 10-year-old who's thinking I'm next and Mm. slept beside our bed for two years. And so I was very protective of him because he was a child. He was a baby trying to deal with this. And then a 14-year-old who wanted to cave and be a teenager. And he's like, I'm a teenager now, and I'm now the teenager that's brother's gone. And kids don't, you know, you don't know who you are in high school anyway, and now you've got that stigma. And so we didn't push, but we offered counseling. We talked, we, but we extended a lot of grace. And I will say this, children, siblings grieve differently than parents. Mm -hmm. And so you've got that. And also child grief morphs into adolescent grief, morphs into adulthood grief. Mm -hmm. And now I see my boys as these young men. And like we said about the wedding last, you know, when the, when we had the wedding, February 27th, there was Brayden in his in his vows talking about his brother. And then there was Brennan as he toasted his brother as the best man. He's sharing a memory about the two of them leaving the hospital and having that in common and that they were there for one another. And so um, just, there was a lot we didn't know what yeah. to do. But I think the outwardly talking and also just showing them our grief, but also just always saying, do you need counseling? Do you want to talk mm-hmm. to somebody? What can we do for you? And also giving them some space because we needed to be at the cemetery a lot and they didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was just something we didn't force. Right. Do you think there's anything characteristic about how children grieve differently versus how parents grieve? Like, can you put them in categories yes. at all? Or is it just, does it yeah. fit nebulously as if like everybody grieves differently, you know? Yeah, I do think everybody grieves differently, but um, I have a little bit of a background. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I can tell you I've looked into this. Yeah. And one of the things about young children in particular is that they grieve in spurts. Mm. This often really confuses their parents when yeah. the six-year-old or the 10-year-old uh, doesn't talk about it, doesn't cry, doesn't 
whatever seems to be fine. Hey, can I invite my friends over? And like, wait a minute, everything looks the same. Right. Are you not in pain like we're in pain? No, the child has just set it aside. It's compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. And in a heartbeat, they'll go back into their grief, but then it will turn off again. So there's almost this mm-hmm. on and off switch mm-hmm. for young children. And parents really should not make too much of that. Yeah. If you judge it as, oh, you didn't care about your brother? No, 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 no. Yeah. That's an adult judgment on a child experience right. that, that's unfitting. That's good. And I think, too, I've had friends that have lost parents as children. What a traumatic loss for them. And it, it, and it kind of morphs. But as a sibling, it can be different with a brother or sister. Yeah, yeah. I really do believe that, and yeah. I've seen that. There's even an expression that, that children, when a, when a child dies, the siblings are the forgotten mourners. Mm-hmm. And it's because the parents get lots of attention. Mm-hmm. But often children do not. Yeah. We had some friends <laughs> that have become lifelong friends to us simply because they attended to our other two boys. Mm. Yeah. They checked in on them. They talked to them. They brought mm-hmm. it up. They looked them in the eye and said, I know you're not doing well, but I, you know, I love you and this is hard. And that sort of stuff, boy, mm-hmm. you, you really appreciate that as a parent. Um, wow. And so I would say sometimes siblings look okay and they are not. Wow. Is there any way you can give us a little bit more definition too around this idea of how childhood grief morphs into adolescent grief, which morphs into adulthood? What what do you mean by how how does it evolve? Well, I just think it's it it's just the same way. Just um, their educationally, their mind, their bodies. They're they're just changing from a child into the adolescence. And the adolescence has that angst. You know what I mean? I want to be my own person. I want to be an individual. I want to push away from mom and dad. Parents that are grieving, and then they have these kids all of a sudden pushing away from them. Wow, that can be a hard thing, especially if it's right early on, right then. I mean, our son was 14, shutting the door, and we're like, Mm. but wait a minute, we just lost a child. We need to be with you. You know, it was our need. And I think you have to remember you know, and as you have to remember, this is a child that's going through adolescence. Remember how you went through it yeah, also, on top of... That's kind of developmentally appropriate a, for them yes. to do. And, yeah, and now, you're trying yes. to balance that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's a lot you just don't know as a parent. Like, should we step in? Yeah. Do we leave it alone? Right. Do we? You have a lot of conversation about it. You try something. You see how it goes. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> there's no black and white. I mean, we had this... It was a shrine. It really was. Hmm. It, it was this huge shelf that we set up and it had all of Connor's things and all of these pictures. And I remember the boys one day saying, really? Hmm. And I said, if that was you, it would be all of yours. It, and they both said, yeah, yeah, you're right. It would be. But it was just something that I had to do. And yet it wasn't normal in our family that I would just mm-hmm. have this five, you know, shelved shelf, you know, with all this stuff, and it's just Connor, it was usually just all three of the boys. Well, yeah. I had lost my opportunity to talk about him. Mm. I mean, I, it was always Braden, Connor, and Brennan. Right. Well, now it was Braden, Gap, and Brennan, and I wasn't done talking about Connor. So there were things that I needed to do. And like like the anniversary day and the birthday and stuff at Christmas and all of those things, and just like even this year still, it's depressing to decorate our tree without him. And we all kind of do it for about 15 minutes and then we stop. Hmm. Um, you know, it, and we all kind of talk about it and go, yeah, it's just never, it's never been the same. And wow, yeah. it, that's just how it's been. So 
I think talking about it, I think seeing them as, as where they're at in their developmental stage and knowing, okay, well, this is what an elementary kid would be doing anyway. Well, this is what a teenager would be doing mm-hmm. or a college student would be doing. But then you layer that with, oh, yeah, they've had this loss, too. Yeah. Um, it kind of can kind of get complicated. Let me, um, if I could, I, yeah. I want to offer people some hope. Yeah. Mm. And one of the things I want to give them is a tool that has been very helpful for us. I, I, got, a, I got a theory working, Davey. <laughs> When you, when you have a loss in your life, you need to find something to do with the grief energy that results from it. And the, you know, mm-hmm. the missing hole in your life that kind of creates this grief energy. Like, what do I do with myself now? you got to find something that equals the magnitude of the loss. Mm. I, I think it's fine to go serve in a soup kitchen or do something, but that's not big enough when you lose a child. I'm looking at you right now, thinking, look what you're what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this you got this podcast, you got this ministry going. You're getting people talking. You're putting people together. That's right. You're helping other people out of the, and that's the magnitude of your yes. loss. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, through a series of people, we don't have time to tell the story, but we found a legacy for Connor. And the long story short is, we work with a ministry that's works in Ghana, West Africa, that rescues children out of child trafficking and then raises them. And we've built a therapeutic art center in Connor's memory that sits on the campus. And once a year we go and we spend time with the children and we help to facilitate through the activities there, therapeutic art healing for these Mm. trafficked children. Let me tell you, it is a joy beyond joy yeah. Uh, those kids call us mom and dad, you know. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you what that does for us. And yet we would all we would give it up in a heartbeat to have mm-hmm, Connor back. Mm-hmm. There again is the sweet right. and the bitter right. side by side. But having something to do with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Putting our grief into something and helping someone else. That's it does not fix your grief. It does not end your grief, right. but it does help you get through your grief. And I think this is the kind of comfort that Paul talks about in Scripture that God gives us. He gives us comfort to comfort That's others. It. Find what that thing is mm-hmm. for you and go after it, because wow. it will really make a difference for you and somebody else. And I think, too, even if it's a quiet thing, I, I know when it was Connor's senior year, um, that year really hit me hard. Not as hard to yeah, Ron as Would have been his senior year. Would have been his senior year in high school. And I um, ended up running a half marathon because I wanted to cross a line. <laughs> I had to do that for me. Yeah. I, he wasn't going to cross that stage, so I needed to cross a finish line in my mind for him. So I ran a half marathon that year. And then we also, I called the high school that he we he would have gone to. And I just said, I need to find a student that can't afford prom pictures and pictures and a tuxedo and a cap and gown. And um, I want to be, we want to be anonymous donors and we want to help a boy who doesn't have the means. Wow. And you know, we kept that quiet. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't have to be big. It can be something very small that um, I, I do a Lego club at my school, mm-hmm. you know, on Wednesdays, not not this year because of COVID, but Connor loved Legos. Uh, he would have loved that I was doing that. He would have been in that Lego club. And so I do that really in honor of him. I, I don't love Legos, but, <laughs> and it brings joy to those kids. So it's kind of something small that when I walk in there, I'm like, okay, son, you're here, Yeah, you know? 
by the way, the Connor Creative Arts Center in Ghana looks like a giant Lego. You really got to see the picture. <laughs> oh, it I is super cool. And, <laughs> and the cool thing about that is God brought that family into our lives yeah. to help us. They were 10 years ahead of us. Yeah. And um, the foundation, the ground of that place is in honor of their son, Jansen. And every building on that care facility is in honor of another child. So they have taken their loss and reached out to all of us so that then we could bless other people. And that's the same as while we're waiting. All of the refuge, all of those rooms that people go for free for those retreats yeah. or the benches, or it's all provided by parents who've lost children. They just want to give back wow. to bless other people. Wow. Where, where can our listeners go if, they're, if their heart you know, is being pulled right now to say, hey, I want to support this. What, what, what can we do? So the two ministries, whilewe'rewaiting.org is the ministry to grieving parents here in the U.S. And, uh, and by the way, all their retreats for mothers, couples, fathers are free, paid wow. for, free. Anybody wow. can go for nothing. And there's support groups around the world. Dan and I lead one. It's virtual. Meet right now. I mean, you can get involved. Wow. Touchalife.org. Touch a life. Oh, excuse me, touchalifekids.org is the ministry that ministers to rescues kids mm. in Ghana, West Africa. And uh, they, yeah, you go and look and you can see the Connor Creative Arts Center and you can give specifically to that endeavor mm -hmm. if you want to online. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll make sure that we put those in the show notes. We put them on the podcast page. So you guys can access those very easily. Um, Ron, Nan, thank you so much for opening up and sharing with mm. us diving into the to the depths of your pain, but also sharing hope and helping us to, to know how we can partner with God to turn that around and, um, yeah. and do good things for other people. Uh, so, and what a, just what a blessing it is to have you guys on here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Debbie. We appreciate really it. Really appreciate it. Aubrey, what'd you think? I mean, I don't know how you even sat there interviewing them mm. without bursting into tears. And maybe you did, but I yeah. am, I mean, I, I feel like I'm still processing mm -hmm. the pain of their story, the heartbreak of their story, but um, also just there's I know, something about their spirit, yeah, something about what God is doing in them and through them feels so comforting even to yeah. us as listeners. Like they are bearing heartache literally right. i mean it's been how many years did they say it had been uh 12 years 12 I think. years yeah and and you see what a mama's grief is like right. you see right. what a daddy's grief is like that 12 years um you just talk about it and it comes up like that and yeah. i think you know in one sense it gives us a longing for heaven when we'll be reunited with yeah. kids that have have passed yeah. because there's no other comfort right but it was a powerful episode. Yeah, it was such a such a powerful episode. And, you know, I was just thinking about this. If you have someone in your life that you know that has lost a child, um, I, I hope this episode has further emphasized to you how um, important it is to show up in their life, to, to be there mm -hmm. for them. And, and right. not just initially when it happens, but ongoing. Because mm -hmm. the loss of a child is there's something there's something that is so uh, intense and ongoing about this because it is complete, the complete reversal of the natural way of things are exactly. supposed to happen. And, yep, and exactly. so, you know, I know I've said this before that there is a, there's a Jewish 
timeline, uh, what God told his people as far as lamenting and grieving and losing a child was the longest timeline of lamenting Mm. that he Mm. told them to. Um, in fact, parents were instructed, I believe to take up an, an entire year to truly lament. And, and when I say a year, I mean, I mean like stopping work, diving into the deep lament, uh, the whole ashes and sackcloth imagery that you see. And that's the longer uh, timeline of instruction because it just, man, as we interact with folks who have lost children, it is just devastating. So lean in with Mm -hmm. the people in your life who are like that, who have experienced that. Um, But I also really thought it was um, very insightful uh, just how they were talking through the tension of trying to figure out grief in front of their other children. Right. Because their their children are grieving as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So you feel this natural, um, almost like you should, almost like you need to be strong for your other kids to help them see. And yet at the same time, what they were really leaning into is like actually thinking through how do we grieve in front of our kids so they can see what's healthy and how to, how to grieve and lean into the Lord in this. I feel like this is an important question for parents and we're in our parenting series right now because I know a lot, I know just personally, a lot of moms who are, or a lot of dads who are going through a lot of heartache and grief and they are questioning, like, at what point is it unhealthy for my kids to see me break down and cry at the middle of the dinner table? Or at what point is that actually a really good example? So kids know like, Hey, this is what human beings do when they're in pain. And, and I do, I, you know, part of me thinks that's probably a case by case as kids are at different ages and their different personalities and, and kids grief is not the same as adult grief run mm-hmm. and Nan talked about that a little bit. They they process things in way different ways than right. adults do. But I also know that kids I think also need permission to go this is sad too. I feel sad about yeah. this as a little yeah. kid and it's okay that I feel sad about it. Yeah, we have trouble having like feeling the permission ourselves to be able to articulate our emotions. Just you know, so true. We we feel mm-hmm. like I mean, society has told us to stuff it, to numb, to cope, to you know, like yeah. move on. Yeah. And so, yeah. how much more is are our children who are definitely not as developed, not as emotionally intelligent as mm-hmm. us as we should be as an as adults? Um, how much more do they feel confined to not be able to share, not even be able to know how to articulate their emotions, not be able to share? So, I think it's important to cultivate that with your kids if you are experiencing this to sit around the dinner table and say okay, let's talk about how are we feeling today? And maybe you need to use a tool like a feelings wheel or the emojis mm-hmm. or something like that. We use mm-hmm. that often with our kids. Point to me yep. which expression on this chart are you feeling right now? And it helps mm-hmm. them to have some language for that. Um, but it is, I think, very imp- very important and appropriate as kids are getting older to be a little bit more vulnerable in those spaces and let them see that you are human as well. Let them see that you are, are sad and that you are processing yeah. through that because you don't want them to be surprised when they don't fe- when what they're feeling isn't lining up with what they're seeing of you. Because mm. when they see, when they see you in vulnerability and lamenting, and then they also mm-hmm. observe you leaning into the Lord, they're going to learn how to handle that as they move forward. Yeah. 
I think it might be nice, too, to see, like, a new generation of kids sort of rising up that yeah. are able to handle emotions better and are able to pour their hearts out to God right. in a way that maybe we weren't taught to. I would say the only caution is for, like, someone like me who's a four on the Enneagram, mm-hmm. that I tend to feel a lot. I feel deeply. Sometimes it's good and healthy feeling, right. <laughs> and sometimes it's too much. It's it over just the is. top. <laughs> yes, and that's right. okay. I know that about myself. So I, I think in some instances... The yep. caution would be not to put um, the expectation that right. your kids experience that same emotion at the same degree you do. Knowing the boundaries, and not, yeah. And like, be okay if they don't. Like, it's okay. It's all good. Like, yeah. don't don't throw guilt on your kid for not grieving the way that right. you're grieving in a it, situation. It's almost like, uh, I think of the word safe, right? So how do we help mm. them feel safe on one side of the spectrum and safe on the other side of the spectrum? So how do we That's help good. them feel that they're safe in the fact that, Hey, we, we're your parents and we are going to, this is hard, but we're going to walk through this with you. We're not going to leave you. We're not falling apart right now. So helping them to see and feel that kind of comfort, but then also helping them to understand you're safe to be able to express some of these things that you're feeling right now. I'm not going to reprimand, reprimand this. I'm not going to try to correct Mm -hmm. you in this. Um, and then I also think that it's really important to, um, help them, you know, understand that, you know, it it helps them not feel isolated as well. And isolation is going to be one of the, and Ron and Nan talk about this. This is one of the things that the enemy would love to get all of us to feel and experience that we are the only ones that are feeling this. We're the only ones that are Mm -hmm. experiencing this. And, um, the only way that we can really break through that isolation is to raise our hand and say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. So you can do that together as a family unit, encourage that with your kids so that they understand, Hey, you're not alone in this. We're walking through this together and it helps to foster within them that there are other people in this life who are safe people who understand what you're going through and you can share vulnerably and deeply with those people and experience healing. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Well, we are passionate here at Nothing Is Wasted about mm-hmm. equipping you through these kinds of difficult things, through whether you've lost a child and you're walking through one of the most devastating things you ever have, or maybe you're walking with a friend who has lost a child, or I, there's all kinds of, of pain points in right. parenting, right? right? Which is why we're doing this series. But we would love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com mm-hmm. because we not only have this podcast, but we have all kinds of resources for you. Right. We have our Pain to Purpose course, that's for churches and individuals. You can hire a certified guide, someone mm-hmm. who will actually walk you through, if you want them to, your your pain journey, and they'll guide you as yep. literally a spiritual guide through your pain. Right. Then we also have community groups. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com. We just want to equip you with everything that we can to help you partner with God to take back your story. Yeah. And I'll emphasize that. Maybe there's someone who's listening to this. You have lost a child and you're looking for direction. You're looking for healing. You're looking for hope. We actually have people specifically, certified guides specifically, who that's part of their story, and that's what they're an expert in walking people through. And mm-hmm. we have community groups that are designed just for that, whether it's an adult child, whether it's a young child, um, we want to equip you with that. So go to nothingiswasted.com. While you're, while you're doing that, um, also go and listen to Sleeping at Last. Any, I mean, we, we're, we love Sleeping at Last around here. We're so grateful we're for fans. the fact that he... Yep provides all the music for the nothing is wasted podcast. Um, so go check out his music where you can download and stream music. And while you're also doing that, we would love to hear about it and hear about how this episode or any of our episodes have impacted you. Um, so reach out to us on Instagram. Nothing is wasted. Ministries is our Instagram handle. Mine is at Davy Blackburn and, 
Aubrey says at Obsamp. And then next Monday, we're coming yes. back. We're continuing the series. Yeah, and we're doing something a little special. We actually have his episode. We normally release episodes on Thursday, yeah. but this one we're releasing on Monday. We're going right. to continue the parenting series with Ron. This one's going to be about blending families, Ooh. which I know a lot of you out there, so you need to needed. hear this episode. So it's going to be such a good one. So again, that's Monday. We're going to continue our parenting series, this conversation with Ron Deal. Let's go ahead and take a listen to a clip as Davey talks with Ron. Really, my passion throughout my career has been family ministry, mm. helping people walk with God faithfully in their marriages, their families, in parenting. And, you know, I was just dumb enough to think family ministries ought to help single-parent families and step-families, just like they help everybody else. And uh, this was back in the early 1990s when really hardly anybody in the Christian community was doing anything for blended families. Mm. 